Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called, Not Everything Turns Out Well. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, January 31st, 2010. A few weeks ago, I saw a movie that's created an Oscar buzz among critics. In Crazy Heart, Jeff Bridges stars as Bad Blake, a country and western music star who's fallen far over the hill. He's 57 years old, drives a 1978 beater of a truck, and is playing gigs in bowling alley bars. I used to be somebody, he sings, but now I'm somebody else. Between stanzas, he stumbles out the backstage door to puke in a bucket out back. The only question seems to be whether Blake will die of liver failure from liquor or of lung cancer from smoking. When asked where his many hit songs come from, he responds, life, unfortunately. Crazy Heart reminded me of the other movie, The Wrestler, in which Mickey Rourke stars as Randy the Ram Robinson, a professional wrestler 20 years past his prime. He can't pay the rent for his sleazy trailer, and he sleeps in his rusted van. Duct tape holds his coat together. Steroids have bloated his body. Chemicals turn his hair blonde, and a hearing aid dangles from his ear. A stripper named Pam is Randy's only friend, and in fact, their mutual commiseration is touching. Bad choices and bad luck have landed Blake and the Ram in bad places. They're growing old, alone, and fast. They're deeply estranged from their families, broke and in broken health. But they soldier on, and so we the viewers resonate with them. And, in, and when both films end, we wonder about the fate of Blake and Ram. We hope they'll be okay. Bad Blake and the Ram embody many aspects of our own stories. They represent a truth that we know from experience, but which we are also tempted to deny as Christians. That is, many things cannot be fixed. But even a broken life can be a good life when filled with God's presence. We can even say that God calls at least some of his saints to a life of brokenness. As I walked home from watching Crazy Heart, my mind wandered to a passage in Mary Gordon's new book, Reading Jesus. In the enigmatic story about the withered fig tree, Jesus is hungry. He curses the fig tree for not bearing any fruit even though it's not the season for fruit. It's as if he's angry at the tree for doing what nature dictates. There's no triumph of faith here, Gordon observes, and a hungry Jesus doesn't get what he wants. He stays hungry, and so he curses the fig tree. When we, fe when we see Jesus cursing the fig tree, writes Gordon, we observe him partaking of our despair over the death grip 
the death sentence of causality. We must apprehend him here as a figure outside, past the lines of good behavior. It is a narrative unfolding of what I believe to be one of the most important gospel truths, that not everything turns out well. Psalm 71 for this week states a similar idea. The psalmist worships God as his rock and fortress. He praises him for his mighty acts and his marvelous deeds. But at the same time, he laments the frailty and isolation of old age. He fears being forsaken and forgotten by God. He's wary of the wickedness and cruelty of humanity. In fact, he describes himself as, quote, a portent to many. That is, a gross spectacle, a sign of something ominous, a symbol of calamity. You have made me see troubles, he prays, many and bitter. In the Old Testament reading, Jeremiah's story begins with a divine call to 40 years of faithful, if reluctant, ministry, but also 40 years of deeply personal struggle for the man the church honors as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah's troubles remind us that there is no call without conflict, no divine summons without human struggle. In the words of the young and earnest priest in George Bernanos's Diary of a Country Priest, quote, we pay a heavy, very heavy price for the superhuman dignity of our calling. The ridiculous is always so near to the sublime. In the world, usually so indulgent to foibles, hates ours instinctively, end quote. Jeremiah protested his personal inadequacies. He struggled for 40 years with a sense of failure, with virulent opposition from detractors, and with deep discouragement. He was beaten, received death threats, imprisoned, thrown down a well, and derided as an unpatriotic crank and a traitor. The other prophets, the priests, and kings dismissed him as seditious. God's call, said Jeremiah, made his heart break and his bones tremble. But God gave Jeremiah something more precious than a stoic exhortation to perseverance. He promised his divine presence. We read in Jeremiah chapter 1, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So do not be afraid, for I am with you. In fact, this is the same comfort that the psalmist claims in Psalm 71 verse 6. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. It's as if the resilience of even the most fragile life, despite our brokenness, is itself a miracle. Believing this divine promise requires the audacity and the courage to believe that God's presence gives perspective 
to all of our problems. Conflict and brokenness are not inimicable to God's call. Sometimes they are part and parcel of it. The gospel for this week makes this exact point. After demonic temptation in the lonely desert, Jesus began his public ministry by returning to Galilee. The stories about his words and deeds spread like wildfire. Everyone praised him, writes Luke 4.15. In his hometown of Nazareth, all spoke well of him, Luke 4.22. But these were the fickle praises of casual observers. When the hometown Jewish crowd asked for a sign of God's power, Jesus told two stories about how God extended his mercy to Gentiles. A widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, and Naaman the military commander of enemy Syria. And so we read in Luke 4, All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. Throughout his three-year ministry, there's a tension between Jesus' obedience to his heavenly Father and his acceptance of the ways of the world. Eventually, that obedience required a radical disruption. For by the time of his public ministry, his own family tried to apprehend him as a crackpot. His own brothers did not believe in him and others dismissed him as deranged, drunk, and demon-possessed. In his little book, In the Name of Jesus, about the three temptations of Jesus to be relevant, spectacular, and powerful, Henry Nouwen concludes with the words of Jesus to Peter in John 21, 18. When you were young, you put on your belt and walked where you liked. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and somebody else will put a belt around you and take you where you would not go. This is Christian maturity according to Jesus, says Nowen. The ability and willingness to relinquish power and control and instead to be led where we'd rather not go, to the unknown, the undesirable, in the painful places of life. For further reflection, consider the poem by Henry Vaughan. The title is called The Revival. Henry Vaughan was a Welsh poet and physician who lived from 1621 to 1695. The Revival. Unfold, unfold, take in his light, who makes thy cares more short than night. The joys which with his day star rise, he deals to all but drowsy eyes. And what the men of this world miss, some drops and dews of future bliss. Hark how his winds have changed their note, and with warm whispers call thee out. The frosts are past, 
The storms are gone, and backward life at last comes on. The lofty groves in expressed joys reply unto the turtle's voice, In here in dust and dirt, oh here the lilies of his love appear. Henry Vaughan, The Revival. For books this week, I review a book called Born to Run, A Hidden Tribe, Super Athletes, and the Greatest Race the World Has Never Seen. The author is Chris McDougall. New York, Knopf, 2009, 282 pages. A while back, I saw a buff college-age guy running through town in his bare feet. At first, I thought he was crazy, but after reading this book, I now think he's part of the barefoot running craze described by Chris McDougall in his new bestseller. For most people, barefoot does not mean no more expensive shoes. Devotees shell out over $100 for a pair of minimalist shoes that simulate bare feet but offer protection like the Vibram Five Fingers or the Nike Free. In fact, at our local running store, there's a three-week wait for such foot gloves. McDougall traveled to the remote and reclusive Tarahumara Indians, which he describes as a near-mythical tribe of Stone Age super-athletes who live in the Copper Canyons of Mexico. They run for hundreds of miles with almost nothing on their feet, eat a simple diet, and according to McDougall, enjoy extraordinarily good mental, spiritual, and physical health. In fact, the Tarahumara, who have no written language or no monetary system, were badly exploited by marketers like Rick Fisher when they participated in the 1992 in 1994, Leadville 100-mile trail runs. In 1992, the 52-year-old Tarahumara named Victoriano Churro bested the field. When they figured out how they were being used and abused, though, after 1994, the Tarahumara retreated to their isolated enclaves and never returned to Leadville. So in the end, McDougall, and an equally elusive and mysterious man named Caballo Blanco took the so-called greatest race the world has never seen to the Copper Canyons, where a handful of oddball elite runners joined the Tarahumara on their own turf and raced for 50 miles for the pure joy of it. In addition to his attractive, if amateur, anthropology, McDougall tracks down sports medicine experts, elite trainers, world-class runners, and scientific studies to explain how and why running barefoot is better than running in expensive shoes that marketers have convinced us we need. It has to do with our evolution in so-called persistence hunting by running. McDougall caught my attention, to give just one example, when he recounts his time with the Stanford University track coach, Vin Lanana. The Nike reps were at Stanford when they noticed that the Stanford runners were all training in their bare feet. 
When the Nike reps asked why, Lenana responded, I can't prove this, but I believe that when my runners train barefoot, they run faster and suffer fewer injuries. I'm not sure that running shoes are, quote, the worst crime ever committed against the human foot, or, quote, the most destructive force ever to hit the human foot, end quote. But as a former marathoner, I really enjoyed this book. It all sounds crazy, of course, and I'm not giving up my shoes. But as McDougal says in the last of his book, one thing about crazy people, they see things that other people don't. Christopher McDougal, a New York Times bestseller, Born to Run. For poems, for film this week, I review Crazy Heart, 2009. Bad Blake, starring Jeff Bridges, is a country-western music star who's fallen far over the hill. He's 57, drives a 1978 beater truck, and he opens this movie playing a gig in a bowling alley in Pueblo, Colorado. I used to be somebody, he croons, but now I'm somebody else. Between stanzas, he stumbles out the backstage door to vomit outside in a bucket. The only question seems to be whether he will die of liver failure from liquor or of lung cancer from smoking. When asked where all his remarkable country songs came from, Bad responds, life, unfortunately. But so much for regret. This is a country western, and that means a road to redemption. Blake meets a young reporter named Jean, who enables him to love again and to make amends with her four-year-old son for his own adult son whom he's not seen in 24 years. This is a simple movie with an unpredictable end. Bridges demonstrates how excellent acting can carry the day, even for a simple storyline. If you like the previous movie, The Wrestler, starring Mickey Rourke, you'll probably enjoy Crazy Heart. Crazy Heart, starring Jeff Bridges. And finally, for poetry this week, we've posted a prayer of Mother Teresa and Brother Roger. Brother Roger was the founder of Taizai. O oh God, the Father of all, you ask every one of us to spread love where the poor are humiliated, joy where the church is brought low, and reconciliation where people are divided. Father against son, mother against daughter, husband against wife, believers against those who cannot believe, and Christians against their unloved fellow Christians. A prayer of Mother Teresa and Brother Roger. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net 
for Sunday, January 31st, 2010. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.